The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Good morning, church family. Happy Palm Sunday to you. (laughs) You're like, what? Yeah, it's Palm Sunday, which means uh, we are commemorating Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, beginning Holy Week or Passion Week, the last week of Jesus on earth, where he's headed towards the cross. And historically in the church, this uh, week uh, it has significant meaning. And so um, we, we hold these palm fronds. You know, we were singing that song earlier, um, Come Thou Fount, and I think it's in Come Thou Fount that, that there's a lyric about uh, our Ebenezer, which means stone of remembrance. And this isn't a stone, but that palm frond can be a, a, a palm of remembrance, right? That we're remembering that in, in the fact that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, you know, people laid down their palms and their overcoats uh, to sort of almost like a red carpet welcome into Jerusalem. And, uh, and Jesus knew the entire time he was heading to the cross. And while they were shouting Hosanna, which means save us, Lord, uh, at the end of the week, uh, a different crowd would be, would be crying out, crucify him. Jesus knew what was before him, and so when we hold this palm frond, we're reminded uh, that, that Jesus went to the cross for us, that he gave his very life for ours so that we could become the family of God. So uh, for all of you, welcome this morning. If you're new around here, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor. Really grateful that you'd spend some time with us. Uh, if you want to be known, you can fill out a connect card, which is that blue and gray card in the seat back there that can also be used for prayers. Uh, and, or if you don't want to touch a physical card, you can go to the website, mdcashville.org connect. Just let us know you are here, uh, maybe how we can pray for you. We'd love to give you more information about our congregation and how you can uh, find a family here. Uh, other thing I want to make mention, obviously, uh, is Easter is this coming Sunday, a week from today. So we'll have a Good Friday gathering uh, on Good Friday uh, at 6.30 p.m., It'll be pretty somber, of course, because we're commemorating uh, the, the crucifixion of Christ, um, but we'd love to have you be here. It'll be only about an hour or so gathering, 6.30. And then Easter Sunday, of course, we'll have our regular gatherings at 9 and 11. If you're a regular 11 o'clocker, maybe consider coming to the 9. There will be kids' ministry up to preschool, so birth to preschool, uh, at both gatherings. And so uh, maybe to offset the crowd we anticipate for the 11, if you, wouldn't, if you would consider coming to the 9 o'clock, uh, and then, Lord willing, we'll have this place filled up with... Uh, both gatherings for Easter Sunday and celebrate the resurrection of Christ together. Amen? Okay, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Acts chapter 28. This is our 39th and final sermon in the book of Acts. Here we are, friends. (laughs) Uh, We started this letter uh, the week after Easter last year. So that was April 11th. Today's April the 10th. We did take a few breaks for some different series. um, But man, it's been a journey, hadn't it? Uh, I hope that the book of Acts has been a blessing to you, um, that you've learned, that you've gleaned some, some, not just information from it, but that you've grown closer to the Lord Jesus through the study uh, of the early church here. Acts, if you're unfamiliar, maybe some of you are here for the first time, and this is the very last <laughs> sermon in this, uh, in this book, but um, Acts is short for the Acts of the Apostles. Um, it, a better translation really would be the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, because it's the Holy Spirit that empowered his people for mission. But what we've seen is these men who were chosen by Jesus, who saw, were witness to the resurrection of Jesus, who were sent by Jesus, 
were empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to be his witnesses. They, they were equipped with his word. They went out empowered with his spirit, and they proclaimed his gospel. They were on his mission for his glory and for the benefit of the world. And, and what we've seen is this ragtag group of about 120 believers who were gathered together in the upper room in Acts chapter 1 has now grown to a global movement. Um, by this time, at least tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people have given their lives to Jesus. Uh, and, and that carries us all the way to today, where there's about 3 billion people on this planet who claim the name of Jesus. What an amazing story that we've been caught up in here. And so though the book of Acts will end today, our study at least of the book of Acts, the acts of the Holy Spirit through his people continues even today. That's, part, that's what we are part of, is the acts of the Holy Spirit through his people, the church, empowering us to proclaim his name uh, wherever there are people. Uh, since chapter 13, we've been following roughly one particular apostle. His name is Paul. You might be familiar with him. Uh, he was the greatest opponent of Jesus and persecutor of the church, who upon meeting Jesus becomes its greatest proponent and is used by the Lord Jesus to, to proclaim the good news of Christ uh, in many, many places. Over 3,000 miles he traveled around the Mediterranean world, proclaiming the name of Jesus, strengthening disciples, um, encouraging those churches, and writing letters and uh, probably 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament were written by the Apostle Paul as well. So we've been following him through his journey. And uh, last week we saw him as a prisoner of the Roman Empire on a ship going to Rome. He's going to stand before Caesar. He's going to give an account uh, uh, before the, the Roman government there. But on his way, he, he, he shipwrecked. Uh, the, the boat in, encounters a, a huge storm, and they end up... Uh, striking a sandbar on some island that they're unfamiliar with. Uh, and yet, by God's grace, all 276 passengers on the ship make it safely to the shore. And that's exactly where we're going to pick up here in Acts chapter 28. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 1. Father, I thank you for these men and women. Thank you for the reminder uh, of Palm Sunday that uh, you came to Jerusalem uh, on a mission to die for sinners to give your life as a ransom for many, that uh, as the nails pierced your hands and feet, as the crown of thorns was placed on your head, as you were mocked and beaten and spit upon and the bull beard pulled from your face, you did it for us. For us who at many times are ignorant and resistant and rebellious against the gracious authority of God in our lives, you loved us enough to send your only son to die in our place so that we might have the right to become the children of God, forgiven, freed, and welcomed into the kingdom as co-heirs with Christ. What a gift. And so, Lord, as we look at the end of this book of the Bible, the end of uh, the missionary account of the early church, I pray that you would enable me, Holy Spirit, to rightly divide this word, that it might encourage your people, that they might sense the presence of the Spirit of God even now with them, and be encouraged uh, as they go about their week uh, remembering Holy Week, remembering the cross that is before you and the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday. So help us now in our study. We pray in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, join me in Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 1. After we were brought safely through, safely through the storm, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. 
when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper, what? A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man's a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly to fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, he's a god. (laughs) Religious people are fickle. (laughs) And now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when he had taken his place, uh, and when this had taken place, the rest of the people of the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to set sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. All right, we'll stop there. If you're a note taker, uh, just give you three simple points you can write down. The first one is this. I just want to point out to you unexpected opportunity, unexpected opportunity, unexpected ministry opportunity to be specific. Now, remember this ship uh, in Acts chapter 27 last week had run aground on a sandbar. The ship was starting to come apart. And so those who could swim, swam to the shore. Those who couldn't grabbed a hold of pieces of the boat that were you know, floating in the water and they made their way to shore as well. They called it some unknown island because they didn't recognize it, not because it wasn't charted. It was actually a, a well-known island, uh, but, but the port is where they normally sailed to, and they were, they were on a different place. So the port um, was, was probably south of where they landed, and so they didn't recognize the island. But turns out it's a place called Malta. Now, Malta in Greek, I believe, means honey or sweet, but the original name for the island of Malta comes from Phoenician and, uh, and the name from Malta comes from the Phoenician word that means refuge, which I find very interesting because I think about places like Psalm 46, where the scripture says that God is our refuge and our strength and a very present help in times of trouble. And here are Paul and these sailors and these Roman guards and these prisoners who are in trouble on the sea, and God directs them to an island called refuge. He brings them safely home, safely to this island called refuge. And so it's raining, it's cold, they're soaking wet, they are shipwrecked, and the natives see this, and they offer what he says in the text is um, uh, hospitality, generosity, unusual kindness. They build this big beach bonfire for the 276 to be warmed up by the fire. Now, Paul is a consummate servant leader. He could, have, he could have sat back and said, you know what? I told you guys this ship was going to wreck. You didn't listen to me. It wrecked. You go build a fire. I'm just going to sit over here and stew on it or just knit or whatever and watch you. But he's, he's a consummate servant leader, so he's, he's going to help build the fire. So he gathers up some wood, and, and as he brings the wood and he places it on the fire, pow, snake bite. What in the world? Right? And not just a strike. He pulls up his hand, and the snake is dangling from his hand. Okay? The one thing I've learned from my study this week is do not... Google viper bite. Please do not. I made that mistake. I will never make it again. I repent, Lord. No, no Googling viper bite. Okay, so the snake is attached to his arm. And we're like, Paul, 
last week we asked the question, like, why the shipwreck, right? He's been through all this drama. He's, he's suffered a ton. He's on his way to Rome to be a martyr and a shipwreck. And now a viper bite? <laughs> it's like, at what point does he go, Lord? <laughs> you know, like, what is going on? Um, and, and so we asked that question, right? Some of us, we've been in situations where we feel like we're just about to turn the corner, right? We've been through the worst of it. It's, it's, it's got to get better from here. And then, pow, something else comes out of nowhere and strikes us. We're like, how much more of this can I take? Now, the locals, they're seeing this. They know what kind of snake it is. They know the damage it does. And so they're looking at this going, all right, he's either going to fall over dead or he's going to swell up. I saw that on Google. And, um, and he's going to die, right? So, we're, so God is, the gods are judging him for something he has done. They say he must be a murderer, and justice is going to get him. Did, did you notice how justice is capitalized? At least in my Bible, it's capitalized. That's, that's an indication of the goddess justice, a Greek goddess that they believed in, who was the daughter of Zeus and Themis. And so their idea is, well, he's escaped the sea, but he ain't going to escape the justice of this goddess. Now, it's interesting. They're not wrong about him being a murderer, right? I mean, we've seen this in the book of Acts. He at least condoned the killing of Stephen, who was the first martyr in the early church. He says himself that he raged against the early church and had people put to death. So he's guilty of being a murderer. But more than that, it shows the theology of the people of this island. That this bad thing has happened to him, and so he must be a bad person. How, how often do we hear that in the world we live in, that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people? And I love how murder is the standard. Like, if you ask people, are you a bad person, they'd say, well, I mean, I'm not a murderer, as if that's, that's the bar, right? As long as you're not a murderer, you're a pretty good person, which makes the amount of bad people in the world pretty small, actually, except Jesus. Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, if you have hated anyone, if you've harbored ill will towards anyone, you are also guilty of murder. That murder is not just about the physical act, but it's about the condition of the heart that wishes another image bearer of God to have harm come to them. Which, guess what? Makes every single one of us in this room guilty, condemned as murderers. So why is the question we ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Why don't we ask the question, why do all these good things keep happening to all of us bad people? The fact that each of us is able to take our next breath, which is a gift from God. Even though we constantly reject his authority, constantly think we're smarter than him, constantly are ignorant of all the many ways in which God shows us his grace every single day in our lives. And so Paul is bitten by this Snake, 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 snake. And Paul's just going to shake, 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 <laughs> shake. It's the TSV version, Taylor Swift version. Um, it's a dumb joke. It doesn't matter. No harm comes to him. No harm. And they say, he's a god, right? First, they wanted to kill him. They think he's, they think he's a criminal. And now they think he's a god. So, so the, the opposite that happens to him in Acts chapter 14, he goes into Lystra, uh, and, and he proclaims the gospel, heals somebody, and they say, he's a god. And he goes, no, 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 I'm a god. I'm, I'm, I'm just a man like you. I'm not a God. Jesus is the real God. And then they want to kill him. They're so fickle. 
He says, no, no, I'm not a god, but I know the one who crushed the head of the serpent. Paul and his companions are, are honored and they're shown hospitality by the chief of the island. His name is Publius. And, uh, and we don't know exactly how, but at some point during the hospitality that Publius uh, is showing to Paul and his companions, it comes to light that his father is sick. Now, this was a common disease on the island. There are parasites in particular animals on the island of Malta. And so he's got a GI disease, sickness, dysentery. It's bad, okay? Uh, Oregon Trail. We got snakebite and dysentery already. It's not going well. And so Paul, I have to imagine, this isn't in the text, but I imagine that as, as Paul is sharing dinner with Publius and, and understanding more about the people there on the island, and he hears about Publius, his father, being ill, um, which, by the way, is a disease that could have lasted months, if not years. So his father's been suffering. Um, that a smile might come across his face when he realizes here's a sick man on the island, and he says to Publius, uh, can I see him? Would you, would, can I go talk to him? And so he goes in, and he, he sees him. He lays his hands on Publius's dad, and he prays to the God of the sea, to the God who has control of the entire universe, and, and the Lord heals Publius's father. The same hands that were just struck by the serpent, the viper, are now administering healing to this man's father. And history tells us that this is not recorded in the text, but history tells us that, that it's in this moment that Publius is actually converted to Jesus. That upon seeing the, the healing that comes, he surrenders his life to Christ. And you know that Paul, he's healing here but if, as we've read the book of Acts, we know that his healing is never removed from his proclamation of the gospel. So he healed and then he proclaimed. And that's the MO of Paul is to heal and then proclaim. And so uh, history says that Publius actually gives his life to Jesus. He becomes actually the first bishop on the island of Malta. And that even today there's a church uh, on, uh, in a city called Medina, which is just not far from St. Paul's Bay, which is what they call the bay where this ship allegedly uh, shipwrecked, is that the church at Medina they say, is built on top of Publius's former home. And archaeological evidence seems to support that. So here's this man, Publius, who's converted to Jesus, most likely after seeing his father healed. Um, at, the word gets out. Everybody comes. Everybody who's got a sickness, they come to Paul, and he has this Jesus-like moment where all the sick are coming to him. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul is able to bring healing to all these people on the island. They're there for three months. Three months they winter on the island of Malta, Paul has this incredible, unexpected ministry. He wasn't trying to go to Malta. He didn't want to go to Malta. Malta wasn't on his radar. And yet here he is, uh, administering healing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ on the island of Malta. Which just reminds me that ministry opportunities are everywhere for us. They're everywhere. Oftentimes it's unexpected people unexpected events in our lives that actually create opportunities for us to administer help. Now, that might be an opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. That might be an opportunity to pray for someone or to encourage them. It might be an opportunity to lend help and meet a physical uh, felt need of someone that they have. But these opportunities are all around us if we only would have eyes to see them. The problem is we don't like these islands that we get beached on. We don't like these Maltas, right? And, and when we find ourselves in an unexpected circumstance, we're so focused on ourselves in getting off that island 
we fail to see the ministry opportunities that might be all around us. Do you find yourself this morning on, on your Malta? <laughs> A place you weren't trying to go, you weren't headed there, you didn't want to go there, but here, here you are. A circumstance, an event, a situation in your life that you you didn't see coming. What is it that keeps us from seeing even our obstacles as opportunities? From seizing those moments, getting our eyes off of ourselves and starting to look around us and see, okay, um, if God is sovereign, he's, he's, he's allowed this to happen for a reason. Is there something that I can do to make the name of Jesus famous, whether that's, again, meeting a physical need, proclaiming his name. There's something that God might have for me there. And so we see this unexpected opportunity, this ministry that Paul has given. You guys with me so far? All right, skip down to verse 14 with me. We're going to move on. I'll summarize uh, those few verses that we're skipping in just a second, but pick up with me at the end of chapter uh, 28, verse 14, the, 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 the part B, if you will, the second part of verse 14. Uh, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, says, And so we came to Rome. What an understatement. (laughs) And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him so not quite by himself. Uh, After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. They said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. All right, we'll stop there. The next thing, if you're a note taker, you can write down is um, encouragement from the fruitful mission. Fruitful mission. Luke says, we came to Rome, right? They made this long journey. They finally come into the city of Rome. Paul's long-held desire to visit Rome is finally coming to fruition, although it's in a way he did not anticipate or expect. He's a prisoner of Rome. Now, likely they left the port of Valletta. Um, If we can throw that map up, Ryan. Remember, this is the journey. This is the last time we're going to have maps in the book of Acts. All right? Praise God for maps. Um, You'll see at the bottom right, Caesarea is where they left from. If you remember a couple weeks ago, they sort of hugged the coastline, uh, made it to Snidus, which is uh, just below the word Asia there, sort of center screen, switched to an Egyptian wheat uh, grain ship, made it to Fair Havens down at Crete, And then they had uh, discussions about whether they should go try to make it all the way to Rome. And Paul, this is where he warned them and said, guys, this is not a good idea. It's going to go very badly for us. We're going to lose lives and ships and everything else if we go. And of course, they listened to the ship captain instead of Paul because he's a preacher. Why would you listen to a preacher? And so they head out into the open sea. Now, this map is generous in that it gives a straight line all the way to Malta. Most maps that I've looked at 
uh, the way they describe that journey to Malta is kind of like this, okay? Because they're tacking back and forth, trying to figure out how they can get out of the wind, and they're adrift at sea. They make it to Malta. This is what we just read about, the snake bite, all that stuff. Now, they uh, board this new Egyptian grain ship, which is going to leave Syracuse, right there at the bottom of Sicily, head up to Regium. This is a bad map because it looks like Sicily and Italy are connected. If you've ever traveled there, you know there's a strait. There's a, about a mile-long strait of water in between those two. Sicily is an island. And so they go through that strait, make their way to Puteoli, which just sounds Italian, right? You can't say Puteoli without it sounding Italian. So they make their way there, disembark from the ship, and now it's all roads. The Appian Way, this cobblestone sort of interstate uh, that takes them all the way into Rome. And so this is the journey that Paul and these other 275, the, the, um, probably the ship guys stayed at the ship, but the, the centurion, the Roman soldiers, the other prisoners are making their way towards Rome. Now he's still in custody. He's still a prisoner of Rome. But after everything that he has done in Malta, I have to imagine that the centurion Julius has to be asking himself, why in the world is this guy in custody? Like he just healed people. He just did all this ministry. Like, this is crazy. Why are we holding this guy prisoner? But here he is a prisoner. And so Julius, the text says, treats him kindly for the rest of the journey, allows him to go and be cared for by other believers. Like he gets special treatment. So these other Christians, these Roman Christians, have gotten word that Paul has finally arrived in Rome or near Rome. And so they go to meet him. They come to him and they tend to him and they care for him. And the text says that Paul took courage. He was encouraged by this. And I think it's for two reasons. Okay? Not only is he encouraged by the fact that they care for him and take care of his physical needs and whatever, but I think more so he is encouraged by the fact that it's the same gospel that has motivated these folks to care for him. Because remember, Paul did not plant the church in Rome. Paul did not proclaim the gospel, and he's never been to Rome. But the gospel made its way to Rome without Paul, and the same gospel, the same message of Jesus transformed the lives of people in Rome to the point that they would go out of their way to come meet him off a ship as a Roman prisoner and care for him. And he takes great courage in the fact that it's the same truth of the gospel that has changed their lives and allowed them to minister to one another. I don't know how much time you've spent around followers of Jesus from other countries or other regions, but it's always a great encouragement to me when I get around people who I've never met and we don't really have anything in common except Jesus. The last time I was in Tanzania, we'll be going again uh, here in the summer, in July, a group of us. Uh, the last time I was there, I believe, was 2018. And uh, I, was, I was with a pastor and his family in their home. And we, it was our last day there. We were about to leave. And so he asked if they could pray for us. And of course, I would love that. And so this pastor and his wife and his uh, daughter and son all gather around. And they all fall to their knees. And they all place their hands on our feet. And they, they call down the power of God from heaven on us, pleading with God, praying. And it was, it was so humbling and so encouraging to see these people who, I mean, it's, inc it's incredible. It's just to hear, to hear their prayers. And it was all in Swahili. I don't know what they said. But the Spirit encouraged me through it, you know? And, um, and if you ever get the chance to... to Go on a mission trip. You ever get a, like you will be more blessed than the people are blessed by you. And they tell us, right? We, we travel around the world to go and, 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 and watch what they're doing in Tanzania. And they'll say to us, it is encouragement to us that you would travel all this way just to see us. 
But man, what an amazing thing. It's the same gospel. It's the same Jesus who's transformed both of our lives, motivated us to go see them, motivated them to minister and to, and to bless us while we're there. It's, it's, such, it's, it's amazing. So Paul had longed to meet these believers, and he finally meets them. Uh, verse 30, which we'll get to in a minute, tells us that Paul was in Rome for two years at his own expense. Okay, he's a prisoner of Rome, but he's on his own dime. <laughs> he's guarded to, he's chained to another guard, but at least he's under house arrest and not in prison, Okay. Now, he's only there for three days before he decides to call the Jews of the city to himself. He's a Jew. He's got a reputation as a Jew. He's now a Christian, of course. But they, they probably know him because he was Saul of Tarsus. He, had, he was a well-known Jewish, uh, a Pharisee. Uh, and, and, and so he calls them to himself, and they're going to have this little meeting. And he says to them, essentially, uh, hey, y'all, that's my... I just picture him saying y'all. I don't know why. But he's like, hey, we're here. And I want you to know that I'm in chains because of the hope of Israel. And they knew what he meant, but they didn't know what he meant. Because for them, the hope was of a Messiah. And for him, that Messiah was Jesus, who had already come and fulfilled the promises of the scriptures. He says, the Jews at Jerusalem, they came against me. They had me arrested, but they had no charges against me. And, and he, said, you know, he walks through this story that we've seen over the last few chapters of the book of Acts. That trial after trial after trial, no charges, no, there's nothing that they can press him on. They want to let him go, but the Jews didn't. Remember that the Jews, two different times, wanted to try to assassinate him. Like they wanted him dead. They wanted him guilty. They wanted him convicted, even though he had done nothing wrong. So he says, I had to appeal to Caesar in order to get here, but listen, I got nothing against y'all. I have nothing against our people, the Jews. I have nothing against our nation, Israel, but this is the only way that I could get to Rome and escape the hands of of these Jews. And what's interesting is, as he explains this whole story, they say this to him, bro, we have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> they say, we've gotten no word. No one from Jerusalem has come. They didn't send a letter. We have no idea what this is all about, which is very telling. Because again, the Jews in Jerusalem, they wanted him dead. They wanted him convicted. And yet, when he appeals to Caesar, it's as if they realize that he's called their bluff, and so they fold. They don't send a lawyer. They don't send a prosecution team. They don't send a representative. They don't send a letter to condemn him to Rome. So when he gets there, they have no idea all this stuff that's been going on. But they do know this. They say, all we know is this sect, the way, the Christian movement, is spoken against everywhere, and we want to hear your views on this thing called Christianity. Will you tell us? <laughs> And you have to imagine Paul's like, oh yeah, I'll tell you, right? No, I think he took courage in this too. Even though it, they say this sect or this movement, the way is spoken against, what does that mean? They say everywhere, everywhere it's spoken of. Now, of course, the religious people were angry about the gospel, but at least the name of Jesus was on the lips of people all over the world. Paul has to be thinking, mission accomplished, Right? God sent me to proclaim his name to the ends of the earth, and it has happened. Because everywhere, according to these other people, everywhere the name of Jesus is spoken about. Again, the religious people are speaking against it, but there's interest, there's intrigue, there's curiosity. And so they're saying, can you tell us about Jesus? Can you tell us what this gospel is? Can you tell us what this way is? And he says, absolutely. When, should we, when would you like to schedule this? You know? And they, they set a meeting up for him the next day. We're going to read about that in just a minute. Now, 
this may seem far-fetched, but I hope that you also can take courage from the fact that they say the name of Jesus or the name of the way is spoken about all over the world. Because again, it's the same gospel. Um, As I was reflecting on this, I thought of uh, the book of Colossians, which Paul writes from the Roman house arrest. And uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read a few verses from Colossians chapter 1 that stuck out to me as I was thinking about this. Listen to what Paul says to the Colossian church. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. So they have faith and love because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, the hope of Israel, the hope of the nations, the hope of Christ. This hope is laid up for you in heaven. Of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So the gospel has come to you. You have faith in Christ because of the gospel. You have love for each other because of the gospel. And you have this hope of your future, this certainty about the future because of the gospel. And then he says this. The gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. Here's what Paul is saying. Church at Colossae, I'm so grateful that the gospel has come to you, that you've received it, that it's changed you, that you have faith in Jesus, you have love for each other as the saints, and you have a hope that cannot be shaken. But not only is this gospel come to you and is growing you and bearing fruit in you, it's doing the same thing all around the world. The gospel is growing. It is bearing fruit in people's lives all around the globe. And you and I, again, it's the same good news, brothers and sisters. The same good news that has transformed your life, the same message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that you have surrendered to, the same good news that you have embraced and that has absolutely changed your outlook on the world is the same message that is spreading continually even to this day around the world and is bearing fruit and growing in people's lives around the world. That's good news, amen? It's incredible. We should be encouraged by the fruitful mission of God that continues even to this day that we get to be part of. That the gospel is bearing fruit in our lives, it's bearing fruit through our lives, and it continues to do so until Jesus returns. Now, I just have a few minutes to wrap this up. So look with me at verse 23. Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging, so at his house, in greater numbers, From morning till evening, he expounded to them. You think I preached for a long time. From morning till evening, he expounded them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. That is the mission, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement quoting here from the book of Isaiah, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear. With their, their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles they will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God 
and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then the book of Acts just sort of abruptly ends. That's it. My last uh, point here you can write down if you're a note taker is uh, Paul's lasting legacy. So they come to Paul at his house, mainly because he's under house arrest and he can't go to them. But I want you to see that Paul leveraged whatever resources, whatever was at his disposal in order to make much of Jesus. I can't go to you. I'm under house arrest. Come to me. Brothers and sisters, do not underestimate the impact the Lord can have through you as you leverage whatever resources the Lord has entrusted to you for the sake of the kingdom of God. For many of you, it's, it's also your home. Showing hospitality, welcoming the stranger. So many of you are so good at that, right? Inviting people into your home, getting to know them, uh, you know, folks from the community, folks from church, just in, in investing in them, wanting to know who they are um, because you love Jesus and you want to see Jesus proclaimed to them. Um, hosting community groups and Bible studies. For some of you, you know, um, inviting into your home uh, singles who, who can watch how you operate as a couple or as a family, young couples invited into your home so that they, they can see you as a mature couple, right? And how, you've, how you do marriage, for some of you, it's opening your home for foster care or adoption. Uh, you are extending the kingdom of God by inviting children who, who do not have a family into your home. For some of you, uh, it's refugees, as we've talked about recently, the opportunity to house those who are coming from war-torn places uh, into your home, into your life. For others of you, it might be leveraging the financial resources the Lord has entrusted to you. you. You have wealth, you have means. God has blessed your business, and you have the ability to, above and beyond your tithe, give generously to the kingdom of God so that the, the mission of God is extended, the kingdom of God grows through church plants and through missionaries and through that kind of work. All of us have been entrusted with spiritual gifts that should be leveraged for the sake of the kingdom of God to bless others and glorify God. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. Some of you have the gift of administration. Praise God for you. <laughs> Some of you have the gift of teaching. Some of you, it's faith. Some of you, it's the gift of leadership. Some of you, it's the gift of discernment. Or the, um, there, there are all kinds of gifts that have been entrusted to us. And are we leveraging those gifts? Are we using the gifts that God has entrusted to us uh, to, to bless others and to extend the kingdom of God? So Paul welcomed these great numbers into his home. He spent many hours with them explaining the gospel, much like Jesus did in Luke chapter 24. He used the prophets, the, the books of Moses and the prophets, Okay, the first five books of the Bible are the books of Moses, and then the prophets, both minor and major. That's your Old Testament, largely, right? And, and Paul, like Jesus, is explaining to them. He's not just teaching them the Bible. He's teaching them how the Bible is all about Jesus. From the very beginning, starting with Moses, starting with Genesis 3. You know, Now, these people didn't know about his snake bite on Malta, but I'm sure he introduced them to the one who was struck by the serpent but yet crushed his head, Genesis 3, the first gospel that God himself proclaims. That though sin has entered this world and broken everything, God will send one born of the woman who will be struck. Theologians throughout the ages have, have said that is a promise about the coming of Jesus. 
He walked them through Abraham and the promise that I will bless you to be a blessing to all nations. He showed them the historicity of the promises of God, how they are all fulfilled in Christ. How Jesus is the promised Messiah who came according to the scriptures to to live the life none of us could live, to die the death all of us deserve because of our rejection of God and his gracious authority. How Jesus endured the wrath of God in our place for our sin, took it all on himself and turned that wrath into favor towards us so that any who would receive him, any who would surrender to Christ could be forgiven, who could be washed clean of our sins, made new from the inside out. Jesus rose from the grave according to the scriptures, I'm sure Paul proclaimed to them, conquering death and sin and hell for us. It all came true. And some were convinced and others weren't. You're going to have that. Some are going to hear the gospel and are going to be struck by it and are going to surrender their lives to Jesus and others are going to hear it and they're going to think you're nuts. And they're going to think they're just fine how they are. It reminds me, I know this is a very old movie, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. If you know, if you know, you know, right? The scene, the king, there's the, the knight or the guard or whatever, let me pass, no, and they get into the sword fight and he cuts his arm off. Tis but a scratch. <laughs> cuts his other arm off, cuts his legs off. He ends up as a stump in the, on the ground and he says, we'll call it a draw, right? <laughs> it's just a flesh wound. That's how many of us are with our sin. I'm just fine how I am. It's just a scratch, just a flesh wound. I don't need the help of God in my life. It's encouraging to me because it shows us that the power is not in our arguments or our amazing exposition of the scriptures. The power is in the Holy Spirit to awaken the soul to come to Christ through our arguments and our exposition. So everywhere Paul went, he saw the same spiritual state among the Jewish people. Some would believe, many others would not. And uh, that's what leads him to to this quote from Isaiah 6, which we don't have a lot of time to get into, but basically the, the idea being The announcement of the kingdom of God is going to go. It's going to come in one ear and go out the other. Because they don't want me. And so God says through Paul, this is why the good news is going to the Gentiles. They actually can admit they have a need. They actually can, can, they are spiritually poor, in other words. Right? You think because you do all these good deeds and you check all these boxes and you obey all these laws that you're spiritually rich. When in fact, that's poverty. The Gentiles understand their spiritual poverty, and as the gospel goes to them, we've seen this in the book of Acts as well, droves and droves of Gentiles come to faith for every small segment of Jews that do. So Paul lived in, two, in Rome for two years, paying his own bills. I guess the court system moved slowly in Rome. Uh, Still a prisoner, but look, it says he welcomed all who came to visit and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about Jesus with boldness and without hindrance. Now, it doesn't say without difficulty. It just says without hindrance. And as I mentioned earlier, during this time in Rome, Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians. He writes the letter to the Philippians. 
he writes the letter to the Colossians, and he writes the letter of Philemon. Now, I bet if I took a survey, many of us in the room could name one of those four letters as a letter that means a significant amount to us in our spiritual journey. And so I want you to see how God leveraged Paul's time stuck in Rome to advance the kingdom of God. Paul says as much in Philippians 1. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the kingdom of God. I have a captive audience with these soldiers. And so though I'm in chains, I'm free. And I tell them all about Jesus. And the gospel is spreading through the entire imperial guard. And he's written these letters that have gone out. And you think about the impact that those letters alone, of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians in particular, even the book of Philemon, have led people to Christ as they've read them, as those books have been proclaimed in church. Uh, they have brought encouragement and strength and, and clarity to so many saints over the last 2,000 years. The legacy that God entrusted to Paul to not waste a moment, but to use even the time that he was under house arrest to spread the gospel wherever it would go. And that's where the book of Acts ends, just sort of abruptly. Paul was there two years under house arrest. He did not face hindrance. That's a weird ending, right? Um, now, history will say though it's not recorded in Scripture, that Paul may have been released after those two years. Perhaps he stood before Caesar and was released, and that he might have even started a, a fourth missionary journey. We don't know for sure. There's some indication from a couple of letters uh, that he was going to come see them. Some say he went to Spain or tried to go to Spain and, and proclaim the gospel to the West. Um, we do know that by AD 64, which would have been around two years after this time, uh, he was martyred. The emperor Nero uh, had him beheaded, beheaded. And so Paul's life on earth ends, but his life in eternity with the Lord begins. Um, and even today, the mission continues, and you and I are part of the story. Uh, we're part of a network called Acts 29, Right, a church planting network. The whole idea with Acts 29 is the mission continues, the story continues. And we read about the saints who've gone before us, um, but now it's our turn. We are the ones God has entrusted with the gospel to take it as far as it may go, whatever, he, whatever area he calls us to, so that the, the fame of Jesus spreads to the ends of the earth. So instead of questions today, I just want to take uh, a, a few moments of silence and maybe just have you silently reflect. Those of you who've been uh, part of this journey with us through the book of Acts, reflecting on what the Lord has revealed to you in this book, where you've been challenged, where you've been encouraged, where you've seen the beauty and glory of Jesus a little differently, where you've been motivated to maybe step out of your comfort zone as you hadn't before. So I just want you to spend a, a, a few moments quietly reflecting, what is it I've gleaned from this book? What has the Lord taught me or what is he showing me that I need to hold on to and, and maybe take action on. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to leave us in a few moments of silence, and then we're going to come forward to receive communion. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, you're invited to these tables where we take the bread in remembrance of the body of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross. 
We dip it into the cup, representing the, the blood of Christ, either the juice or the wine, representing the blood of Christ, which was spilled at the cross to, uh, to wash us white as snow, our sins wiped away, us declared righteous in the sight of God. We come in thanksgiving, knowing that on this Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem on his journey towards the cross where he would give his life as a ransom for us. So we come in repentance, we come in thanksgiving, come in worship of Christ. Uh, if you're not a believer, you can stay in your seats. As you make your way back, there are black boxes. If you have prayer requests, you can put it on a Connect card. If you uh, want to be known, fill out that Connect card as well. If you're a regular, you want to give. Um, your generosity is uh, welcomed and appreciated. It goes into those black boxes as well. And uh, then the band's going to return, lead us in a few songs, and we'll get out of here. Father, thank you so much for the book of Acts and the encouragement and the challenge that has been uh, this whole year as we've studied it. Uh, for me, as uh, the primary communicator of the word here, um, I have sat with this book for these last many, many months, even before we started this series. And um, it's always bittersweet to end uh, a study of a book because I've grown so close to Paul uh, and to Peter and to the other apostles and disciples through this study. Um, but Lord, we, we thank you that you have preserved your word for us, that we have it as a constant encouragement challenge and, and as a magnifying glass or a, to show us the beauty and glory of Christ on every page. So Lord, as we respond now, as we contemplate what you have spoken to us through the book of Acts, I pray that you would just encourage us, that you'd remind us of some key things that you've revealed. And Lord, as we walk out of this place on this Palm Sunday, that we would be not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. With the help of the Holy Spirit, empowering us to take action on the things that we've learned, that we might be your faithful disciples and that you would make us fruitful in season. And so we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus and pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.